Chapter 2. Experiments in Prayer The one who knew said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy, that is, are those people who know that their spiritual power is small, that their creeds are imperfect, that their instruction concerning God and man is incomplete. Happy are those who know that they do not know all of truth, for only those who admit their spiritual poverty are willing to learn. One way to understand a hitherto unexplained force of nature is to experiment with that force intelligently and with an open mind. This book suggests, for those willing to learn, a method so simple that it is childlike, as the more profound truths are apt to be. It is an experimental method. One decides upon a definite subject for prayer, prays about it, and then decides whether or not the prayer project succeeds. If it does not succeed, one seeks a better adjustment with God and tries again. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The attitude of perfect meekness consists of an unshakable faith in the laws of nature, combined with perfect humility toward those laws and a patient determination to learn them at whatever cost. Through this meekness, we have learned how to conform the laws to the laws of nature and by so doing have achieved great results. Through the same meekness, those who seek God can produce results by learning to conform to His laws of faith and love. The first step in seeking to produce results by any power is to contact that power. The first step then in seeking help from God is to contact God. Be still and know that I am God. Let us then lay aside our worries and cares, quiet our minds, and concentrate upon the reality of God. We may not know who God is or what God is, but we know that there is something that sustains this universe, and that something is not ourselves. So the first step is to relax and to remind ourselves that there is a source of life outside of ourselves. The second step is to connect with this life by some prayer such as this. Heavenly Father, please increase at me at this time your life-giving power. The third step is to believe that this power is coming into use and to accept it by faith. No matter how much we ask for something, it becomes ours only as we accept it and give thanks for it. Thank you, we can say, that your life is now coming into me and increasing life in my spirit and in my mind and in my body. And the fourth step is to observe the operations of that light and life. In order to do so, we must decide on some tangible thing that we wish accomplished by that power so that we can know without question whether our experiment succeeded or failed. Many Christians are afraid to do this. A working woman once told me that she asked God to send her two pairs of rubbers for her sons to protect their feet from the rain and slush. That night, she said, the ground froze over solid, and for two days the boy walked to school dry-shod. Upon the third day, a neighbor gave her two pairs of rubbers for her sons. Oh, but I would never dare do that cried a young man whom I repeated this, because what if the rubbers didn't come? If the rubbers weren't forthcoming, he implied, there was no God. But if he had turned on an electric light and it had failed to shine, he would not have said, there is no electricity. He would have said, there is something wrong with this lamp. Let us understand then that if our experiment fails, it is not due to a lack in God, but to a natural and understandable lack in ourselves. 
What scientist would be discouraged if his first experiment failed? Since we intend with his help to heal our shortcomings, to repair our wiring, we need not fear to test his power by prayer. A pair of rubbers might not be the simplest objective, nor a new coat, nor a larger home. We might be mistaken concerning our need of these things. Moreover, the attaining of such things in prayer involves the swaying of more minds than ours and is rather difficult for a first experiment. Let us choose one of the very simplest of prayer experiments, remembering always that it must be tangible. That is, it must be something that we can put the finger on and say either, this has been done, or this has not been done. How strange it is that people who fear to do this do not hesitate to pray for the most difficult objectives at all, such as the peace of the world or the salvation of their souls if they have so little confidence in prayer that they do not dare to test their powers of contacting God by praying for an easy thing, it is probable that their cosmic intercessions are of little force. If everyone who prayed for the peace of the world had enough prayer power to accomplish the healing of a head cold, this would be a different world within 24 hours. All the cattle on a thousand hills are his. All the rubbers in all the world are under his control. And sufficient power to heal the head colds of all humanity flows at his command. Let us not be afraid then to choose for our first prayer experiment an objective that is simple and personal. This objective must, of course, be in accordance with God's will. For it is as difficult to make God's power operate contrary to his will as it is to make water flow uphill. A wise engineer studies the laws of flowing water and builds his water system in accordance with those laws. A wise scientist studies the laws of nature and adapts his experiments to those laws. And a wise seeker after God had better study the laws of God and adapt his prayers to those laws. There is no great mystery concerning the will of God insofar as it applies to our small selves. God's will is written into his nature, and the nature of God is love. Therefore, when we pray in accordance with the law of love, we are praying in accordance with the will of God. The simplest and most direct of all prayer projects is the healing of the body. The body is indeed a laboratory exquisitely adapted to the working out of the power of God. And healing by some form of prayer or faith is as natural and as instinctive as breathing. It has been practiced with or without understanding by people of every age. It is as old as history and as modern as space travel. Almost everyone in times of great stress cries out to someone, to something, even if he does only so only by a blind, instinctive urge and denies his own impulse immediately afterwards. Much of this clamoring to deity has failed to produce results. Therefore, a great many Christians, unwilling to believe that God cannot heal them, have persuaded themselves that he will not. In so doing, they forget that both the example and the words of Jesus Christ He told us that God is a loving father who delights to give good gifts to his children. But those parents and teachers who dimmed the shining of his eternal glory in our infant minds taught us that God often willed us to suffer. Well, God's will be done, they sighed, when prayer for health brought no relief from pain. 
If we think of God as a heavenly stage manager, jerking us about like puppets on strings, this is a natural and indeed an inevitable conclusion. God can do whatever he likes. We have asked him to make us well. He has not done so. Well then, he must like us to be sick. In which case, if we are logical, we will not only stop praying for health, but will also stop taking medicine. For who are we to go against God's will? We are not logical, thank God. An inner wisdom deeper than reason forces us to strive always after life. We continue taking medicine even while we sigh. God's will be done. We also continue to try, cry, Oh Lord, please! Even though it is only the instinctive howl of an infant for its mother. When we realize that God is not only transcendent, He is also imminent. That is, He is not only in the heaven and the heaven of heavens, but He is also in our own small minds and bodies. Then this difficulty disappears. We see that the lack of success in healing is not due to God's will for us, but to our failures to live near enough to God so that He can accomplish perfection in our spirits and bodies. He will do the next best thing and endeavor with divine patience to teach us through suffering. In this case, we are receiving as much of His life-giving Spirit as He can get through to us, but not the full flow necessary to life. When our electric lights work partially or not at all, we know that the lack of power is not in the universal and infinite and eternal flow of electricity in the universe, but in the wiring that connects us with that flow. When Edison had tried some hundreds of times to find a wire that could transmit a continuous flow of electricity, and had failed some hundreds of times, he did not say, It is not the will of electricity to shine continuously in my wire. He tried again. He believed that it was in the will, that is, in the nature of electricity to produce this steady light. He concluded, therefore, that there was some adjustment to the laws of electricity that he had not yet made, and he determined to make that adjustment. For more than 6,000 times he tried again, and he succeeded in making electricity shine continuously in a wire. That is faith. In certain very difficult cases, there are adjustments to the laws of God that cannot be made perfectly in this lifetime. Even so, we do well to strive continually towards life in our prayers, even as we strive continually toward life in our medical care. If it is too late for the perfect healing of our bodies in this life, we will at least receive enough of His power to enlighten our spirits and to relieve our pain. I was once asked to pray for a little boy with abscessed ears. The child improved for 24 hours, then relapsed. I prayed with him again, and the same thing happened again, more than once. Each relapse was worse than the last, and he was finally taken to a hospital and operated upon for mastoid. Even the cooperation of prayer and science did not save him. The poison began to eat into the bones of his head. He was on the verge of spinal meningitis. Feeling sure that since Jesus never failed to heal a little boy brought to him by faithful parents, and so we should never fail, I sought more power in prayer. My methods were perhaps childlike, but through them I learned as children learn. I went to see the little boy in the company of a minister, and again with two or three friends, hoping by just the right combination of minds to provide God with the right kind of wire for the inflowing of his power. The boy's condition grew steadily worse, as indeed the little fellow expected. 
He had had a number of desperate illnesses in his nine-year lifespan and had developed an invalid consciousness, the greatest possible barrier to healing. Nothing can make me well, he would sigh. I'm always sicker than anybody else. And he would also console himself in his trouble by taking pride in his ability to exceed others in being sick. I found him on a certain Good Friday, half-conscious and nearly blind in a darkened room. At this point, Satan entered me, and I began to wonder whether it was God's will for him to die. Upon my knees, I wrestled with this problem, knowing that if I were to accept God's will for a little child as blindness, agony, and death, my experiments in healing were over. If I had accepted death, the child would have died, and the parents would have consoled themselves forever by thinking, God's will be done. But I cut myself away from this convenient excuse for failure as a ship going out to sea drops its shorelines. I telephoned to an older and more experienced prayer worker from a neighboring city. The parents are the barriers, dearie, she said. They're afraid. They must stop being afraid. I know, I confessed, but I just haven't the nerve to tell them they mustn't be afraid. Send them to me, directed my prayer partner. I'll tell them. She told them, and the serene and joyful assurance in her eyes strengthened their faith. She then directed me to go to the little boy at a certain time and place my hands upon him. But don't try anything to do anything, dearie, she advised me. You've been trying too hard, and it's upset you. Just be still and know, he is God, and his power is flowing into you through me. I followed her directions. The child was by this time unconscious. He did not rouse as I stood beside him in the dark, my hands on his brow. Yet I was so conscious of a heavenly presence with us that I returned home giving thanks. The parents went to see the child on Easter Sunday afternoon. They heard the little boy singing before they reached his room. As they entered the door, they were met by blazing sunlight shining full across his bed. He was sitting up in bed, cutting pictures from a magazine and singing Three Blind Mice at the top of his voice. Moreover, he lost his invalid consciousness and learned to live in the kingdom of heaven. He was home within a week, spent the summer swimming and fishing, and went through the following winter with no illness at all. The next summer he caught a cold and I went to see him again. Do you remember how I taught you to talk to germs? I asked him. Have you been doing it? Yeah, man, cried the little boy, and it's okay. I've got a fever now, but that's just the healing things in me doing what God and me told him to do and killing the germs. Tomorrow, I'll be okay. You'll see. On the morrow, he was okay. Which was God's will, this or the premature death of the little boy? In the Middle Ages, many a child died of smallpox because science had not yet discovered the smallpox vaccine. Yet the vaccine was here all the time awaiting discovery. Many a person dies because humanity has not discovered his healing power as it operates through the being of men. Yet that power is here awaiting our adjustment to it. Deciding once and for all then that God is a loving father who delights to give good gifts to his children, let us learn how to accept those gifts. Let us choose as a prayer objective the healing of the body because it is a simple and obvious need. When we ask for the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in the body, let us think of that part of the body that most needs His life.
Let us imagine his light and the life glowing there like a fire, shining there like a light. Then through the rest of the day, let us continually give thanks that his life is at work within us, accomplishing his perfect will and recreating us after his image and likeness, which is perfection. If we have sought God for a simple thing, such as healing of a cold in the head, we may find that healing perfected in a few minutes. If we have sought him for the rebuilding of bones or nerves or sinuses, the complete healing may take time and patience. It would be well to make a special prayer for it at least twice every day, preferably on awaking and just before going to sleep. In this prayer, we can ask for a renewal of God's healing power, remembering always to give thanks for what he has done and is continuing to do. How long should we continue praying for healing? Well, until the healing is accomplished. Sometimes a prayer once or twice a day is sufficient. But sometimes we need to pray without ceasing, to keep ourselves open to the continuous inflow of God's power. We do this not by saying over and over again, Oh, please, Lord, for that sounds as though we do not believe He is really working. It is much better to keep the power flowing by continually giving thanks for it. Every time we think of a condition within ourselves that needs healing, we can say, Thank you, Lord, that your power is making me well. And we can look ahead and see ourselves well and strong. In praying for another person in a critical condition, we may need at times to hold that one up in almost continuous prayer, saying, Thank you, Lord, that your healing power is being increased in this person, working toward perfect health. There are other times when all we need to do is to remind ourselves of our real being as children of God, and His power works so rapidly that one prayer really is enough. There was a small boy who had a leaky heart. I had prayed for the healing of the heart, but with slight success. The heart was better, but was not well. This was most unusual, as the healing of a child's heart is one of the easiest of prayer objectives for me. And until this time, I had never needed to pray for it but once. It came to me, therefore, that I needed active cooperation from the little boy. So I questioned him concerning his knowledge of God. I know all about God, he replied serenely. God is in this room, only you can't see him because he's visible. And Jesus is in this room, only you can't see him because he's visible. Yes, isn't that funny? Not to me it isn't. Thus I was reproved. Billy, I decided, knew about God with more profound simplicity, simplicity than I did. His theology was quite sufficient for his seven years. It remained only for me to teach him how to make his knowledge of God work for the healing of his heart. How about playing a little pretend game with me, I said to the small friend of God. Pretend you're a big guy going to high school and you're on the football squad. Shut your eyes and see yourself holding the ball and running ahead of all the other fellows. Look at that guy, the other kids will say. Just look at him run. Boy, he is strong. I'll bet he's got a strong heart. Then you say, thank you, God, because that's the way it's going to be. Will you play that game every night right after you say you're going to bed prayers? I left Billy grinning, but noncommittal. A month later, I returned. The mother had taken Billy to the doctor, as I had requested her to do. The doctor knew of his patient's experiments with faith and was delighted to pronounce the heart perfect. Have you been playing my pretend game, Billy? I asked the small seeker after truth. 
The boy's face lit up with a delighted grin. Sure have, he cried. He had played the game, and upon playing it, he had found therein a profound reality. Thus he had wrestled with God as his partner against the powers of destruction and had prevailed. The will of God for him was not a leaky heart, but health. 